brief note before we start the episode, my laptop went down, which is what I used to get into Skype and record. Thankfully, John was really nice and agreed to record it for me. We recorded using Skype on my phone. Well, I was on my phone. He was on his computer. So the quality isn't as good as normal. It's not horrible. Not even really bad. It's just not as good. Just want to give you a bit of a heads up, but it from what I heard when I was editing it, it shouldn't be too much of a problem, or really much of a problem at all. Alright, that's it. Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and today we'll be talking about Warlock number nine. And if we're talking about Warlock, well, that means John must be here somewhere. I don't John, know where he is, though. Are I you can't there? find him. Ah, son of a I swear, this guy's always lost. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to have a talk with that guy because um, he's just getting in the way of the show, and we can't have that. Yeah. Wait a minute. John. Hey, there you are. Oh, Oh, dang it! Did it again? That's Forgot you. who I was. Yeah, here I am. I'm ready. I've got I've got my orange skin and my red flowy cape and my split personality and um, yeah. <laughs> and Lily in the other room, ready to knock you on the head with something. <laughs> you are <laughs> that, not leaving the house, Dad. Day, you are not. <laughs> you are not leaving the house like that. No, no, no. Oh shit! I just realized at the end of the show, whenever you say, "Hey, John." Do you have anything you want to talk about? I can talk about stuff. Ooh. That's like a little teaser. Yeah. I like that. All right. Sweet. So now you guys folks have to stay through the rest of the episode just to hear what he's got to talk about. He's got to talk about. Gotcha. Suckers. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite so, yes. as exciting as Thanos showing up at the end of an issue, but you know. Spoilers. Oh, wait, I'm about to spoil that in a minute anyway. Yeah, you're about to do the whole recap thing, so. And I guess since this issue is, what, 42 years old? Almost 43? I guess we can, I guess the statute of limitations is up on the spoilers by now anyway. Okay, you ready to go into it? Yes. Yep, so hold on, everybody. Since we already did that, let's put that little synopsis here. So, well, besides the fact that Thanos is up at the end, let's tell you about the rest of the issue. Warlock number nine, The Infinity Effect. Written, penciled, and colored by Jim Starlin. Inked by Steve Lealoha. Lettered by Tom Orszewski. Editor, Len Wein. Cover art by Jim Starlin. Original cover date, October 1975. On sale date was July 22nd, 1975, with a cover price of 25 cents. Born to be Earth's man of the future, then forced to abandon his native planet because of his alien ways. He wanders the stars seeking life. Gifted with ultra-strength, paranormal reflexes, and perceptions, the power of levitation, and the curse of a vampire soul gem, he stands uniquely alone among the heavens. Stanley presents The Power of Warlock. 
Adam's ninth, yet also his first issue, starts with him, Gamora, and Pip finally coming face to face with their enemy, the leader of the galaxy-spanning Universal Church of Truth, as well as the future version of Adam himself, the Magus. As pointed out by Pip, Adam and the Magus look alike, except the Magus is purple-skinned and has white hair and an afro. He is also wearing Adam's old outfit, the one with the lightning bolt on the chest. Adam attempts to attack the Magus, but is horribly outclassed. To torture Adam, and bring readers up to speed, the Magus recaps everything that has happened since Strange Tales 178. Just in case you missed those episodes, here it is. He had a young girl who was trying to escape the church, murdered in front of Adam. He knew that Adam would come after him seeking vengeance. That would put Adam into direct conflict with the Matriarch. The Magus knew that the Matriarch was unsatisfied with the great powers she held as the appointed head of the church, and would try to use Adam to increase them. She came to realize she could not kill Adam without risking everything. If he died before he became the Magus, then the religious domain that she wanted total control of might never exist. She attempted to brainwash him, hoping that would also give her control over the Magus. However, the Magus knew that Adam would risk the only escape from the brainwashing. Madness. That madness was necessary for Adam to become adjusted to the Magus's distorted thought processes and altered perceptions, setting Adam one step closer to actually becoming the Magus. While the Magus is monologuing, Pip attempts the sophisticated attack of bonking him on the head, and is easily backhanded. Having knocked Pip out, the Magus is happy to continue his lecture to Adam, because they are now alone. Seeing as she is apparently invisible to the Magus, Gamora contacts her master for instructions, and is told to wait. While she waits, the Magus continues to tell Adam his origin. He is going to shoot Adam with a beam from his soul gem that won't hurt him, but cover his body with a special type of radiation. That radiation will shortly attract the in-betweener. Once Adam is touched by the in-betweener, he will be taken to his land. A land between reality and illusion. Between time and space. He will spend centuries floating there, listening to the dark secrets of chaos and order, and learning that the great division is not right and wrong, but purpose and death. He will eventually be able to form another cocoon around himself in an attempt to escape their voices. But it won't work, and he will become totally mad. He will then emerge from the cocoon as the Magus. He will come back to reality in the same place, on Homeworld, but 5,000 years in the past. He will conquer the planet and become not only their ruler, but their god. He then forms the Universal Church of Truth and sets out to convert the galaxy until he now rules over a thousand worlds. Four years ago, he began to prepare for this meeting. He found the woman he remembered as being the matriarch and gave her physical control over the church. Now everything was set and would be as he remembered it happening. Adam still attempts to attack but the Magus distorts reality around them all, though it seems to have no effect on him. He is now ready to hit Adam with the in-betweener summoning radiation. This is Gamora's moment to strike. She comes close, but at the very last second the Magus is able to sense her and knock her back while still hitting Adam with the blast. Knowing he has already won, the Magus leaves Adam to his suffering, knowing that his time is almost up. Realizing what is about to happen to him, and not knowing any way around it, Adam descends into self-pity. Meanwhile, the Magus is disposing of the Matriarch and sends 2,500 of his Black Knights to kill Adam, Gamora, and Pip. He doesn't think the Black Knights have a chance of killing Adam, but it should keep him busy for the next few hours until the in-betweener shows. Back where we left our heroes, Gamora's master is in communication with them all now. He had hoped that the introduction of a new element like Gamora would be enough to change the Adam-Magus time loop, but apparently it wasn't. He has decided that a new element with the power to change things needs to be introduced and he assures them that Thanos is such an element. Oh
Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Counts. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? And that was the rest of the issue. God, I love editing. (laughs) All right, so Warlock number nine. Yes, Warlock is back in his own book again. Yes, uh, pulse-pounding premiere issue even, which um, I kind of had to laugh at a little bit because it's the yes. premiere issue in his Marvel premiere. Uh, see what they did? Oh, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Yes, now in his own sense-shattering mag. Well, that does kind of make sense, (laughs) sense shattering. (laughs) And I'm sure anyone who's only started reading comics in the last 20 years is looking at that going, but why does it say nine? Well, like we saw the last time, this is the Bronze Ageiest Bronze Age of all Bronze Age comics, because they didn't reboot to number one. They just picked up the numbering where they left off after um, doing another preview series in Strange Tales as the resumption of where his series left off which was itself a follow-up in somebody else's book, or another book that the person was writing as a person. And uh, yeah, it's all sorts of... Warlock in the 70s is an interesting journey of titles. <laughs> it's a strange yeah, tale like, of, of, of things. Yeah, it's like, okay, you go from Marvel Premiere to Warlock to Hulk to Strange Tales to Warlock, and then a couple of the random things. Because and even even the Marvel yeah. premiere, I mean, it's picking up an old character and doing something else with him, which actually is not super common. Finding a random old character that somebody used for five minutes and turning him into something all new, they don't do that all the time. Very and everything true. else is such a trope. And the fun part is, even though this is the run of Warlock that everyone knows, everyone celebrates, everyone thinks about, most people, including me and I believe you even, until we started re- really reading it for the show, really don't pay attention to the first eight issues of Warlock. You know, when he's on Counter-Earth, we kind of just, you you discard that, because it's nothing to do with the whole Infinity Gems, Thanos, Mega stuff. But that run of Warlock lasted longer. That was eight issues. This is, he only gets seven here, technically, once he gets his own book. I mean, if you add in Strange Tales, yes, it did go a little longer, but if you just count the issues of Warlock, there's more issues of the Counter-Earth than there is of this version. Yep. And once he finally gets his magazine... The story, the, the huge story that Starlin's telling only has a little bit further to go. Yeah. It's over by, I think, an issue 11. Yeah, 11 is the last chapter. After, after today, we have three more, two more chapters. 
So if anyone just picked this up, they're like, wait, what's going on? This is the first issue. Why is there stuff already happened? So uh, oh, we okay. have a really solid issue that I don't have a whole lot to say about that might change as we go on, but it's mostly exposition and backstory and it's cool yeah. backstory and it's cool exposition. It's neat to see everything finally come together. But at the end of the day, he's just sitting there telling a story. Yeah. This is the issue that basically the, the mega is just says, this is who I am. This is my, and this is what's going on. And this is what I'm doing to you. Mm-hmm. Everybody got that. This is also, I think, the first Warlock story, or the first Jim Starlin story that I'm noticing, because the title is called The Infinity Effect. Yeah, So here I we have the beginning of Infinity. It's his first Infinity story. Nothing to do with the gems, or the, or, well, I guess the soul gems in it, but nothing to do at all with the idea of the Infinity Gems. Yeah, There's stones in the movies and gems starts. in the comics, right? Um, yes. Okay. Yes, and they've also changed the colors. Right. In the movies. But they've changed that in the comics, too. But they've actually at least said, they at least acknowledge they've been changed. And they're not sure how or why. As opposed to just changing it to be like the movies and not saying anything. Because mm-hmm. I am reading the new Infinity Countdown. And in, in that they say, they've been changed. And some of them are not even don't even look like the gems anymore. Only the soul gem looks like a gem. The others all look like rocks. Interesting. But they've at least acknowledged, we're not sure how or why this has happened. <laughs> and I'm, that at least is what I need. You know, Don't just change it on me and pretend it's always been this way. Acknowledge that you've done a change. Even if they don't have a reason for it yet. At least have the acknowledgement. You know, yes, we understand it's changed. We're not sure how or why, but it did. That's all I need. I'm easy. But we start this issue with... Hold on, my tablet shut off on me. <laughs> with Warlock, Pip, and Gamora in front of the Magus' throne... And it's a pretty great opening shot. You know, the Magus is up there in the in the throne, and they're all down below. The only thing that's a little bit awkward about it is just the placement of Gamora's front medallion on her belt makes those dangling straps of fur a bit awkward. Yeah, well, I, I always took it they're supposed to be like that He-Man style. You know, it was before He-Man, but you know, that oh, He-Man yeah. style, the loincloth. And if the medallion were six inches higher, there wouldn't be a problem. It's just right there, right at the bottom. It looks like it's all falling out of everything. Mm, true. Now, real quick, since you mentioned that, is it just me, or would a Gamora Red Sonia team up work perfectly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I would read that. Uh, I would uh, want Gail Simone to write it. I'm saying, isn't she doing Red Sonia anyway? Uh, Gail Simone, please write that because I would read the hell out of that. <laughs> and um, Red Sonia going to other planets. I haven't read a lot of Red Sonia, but yeah. Actually, spoilers, yeah, I read exactly one story of Red Sonja's because she was in a Spider-Man team-up issue that can't be repeated, reprinted anywhere. Oh, oh, the one that, le- the Cool and Gath one, the Cool and Gath one. Maybe. Yeah, that's the one where she's, uh, possesses Mary Jane. Yes. Yeah, that leads into an X-Men story from, like, 190 and 191 where that old, where New York has changed and, like, everyone, them, the Avengers look like barbarian versions of themselves. Does it lead directly into that or is the X-Men, like, a sequel to that? Oh, well, it's a sequel. I'm not. Well, I guess you could say a sequel, but yeah, it's that um, the necklace, the one that made it, that uh, whatever that because the villain they thought was possessing somebody, Cool and Gath, and he possesses somebody, he, the, whatever it is he's using to possess the person. I think it was a necklace. He possesses somebody else, and he's able to now take over New York. Okay, that's why in that X Men story, he has Spider Man being crucified because he hates him because of 
he stopped him last time. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So it's a sequel. I, I my memory did not include the idea that the events of one directly led into the events of the other, but it's a follow up story. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure that was also written by Beaufort and by Claremont. Yeah. But speaking of the Infinity Effect. But yeah. So. Yeah, so we have our whole cast here, and we have that little <laughs> – we have the caption boxes, which they do now a lot more, you know, saying who everybody is, except this time they have little arrows telling, pointing to them, just in case you're not sure which one's Magus and which one's Pip. Mm-hmm. I like that. Our troll uh, – I like how this is our heroine, Gamora, our hero, Adam Warlock, our villain, the Magus, our troll, Pip. <laughs> so and... you know everybody's role. We get some really nice pencil work on the next page on the Magus's face, and um, oh, that second panel! Yeah, I love that. And Adam Warlock. I wish that we saw more of Adam Warlock's face because their emphasis emphasizing here that they're the same person. How he looks just like him. That's what the Pip says in the previous panel. So it'd be cool if we saw more of the Warlock's face to see exactly how they did look alike. The only thing that confused me is Pip says, he looks just like you, Adam, except he's silver. I thought he was purple. Hmm. Now, hmm. in that second panel, the one you're talking about, he does look more silver in body as well, but everywhere else he's purple. Yeah. The hair's silver, but not the body. Weird. So and was the coloring the fact choice that intended to convey silver metal, but just doesn't do it? I mean, I don't know, because here's the thing. If you look at the credits, which they always have fun with playing around the credits here, since it's fussing, Len Wein, blotting, steel, Leah Holt, Loha, scribbling, Todd Borshevsky, everything else, Jim Starlin. So we know Tom, you know, and even if you're not sure which what those mean, we know Len Wein's the editor. And Steve Leah wasn't artist slashing, so he did. So Starlin did the cover, coloring and the scripting here, so you think he would know. So if we saw that light purple... In a completely different context, would it be able to say silver? I don't think so. I think light blues Something. and white say silver. Yeah, I don't know that sure. purple says silver. I don't know. It's weird. Interesting point. Yeah. Yeah, and also I noticed in that, that panel, I realized that a lot of times now throughout the rest of the issue, it's funny. Apparently, when we talked about last time for Strange Tales 181, that Adam actually smiled at that one time when he was on trial. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, he's smiling. Because we don't get any more smiling. The Magus is constantly smiling. Constantly He's grinning happy. and smirking, yeah. He's a happy man. Well, being insane Adam's can do miserable. That. And also, like, it's being successful at it. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. you could say the Magus is more, one of the more successful ones. I mean, yeah, Doom has a country, but the Magus has an empire. Yeah, thousands of planets over 5,000 years of rule. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Done pretty well for himself. I mean, you gotta admit. You know, they go home to dinner for their parents. You know, him and Adam. You know, Adam. You know, Adam's might be the good one, but Adam's the one who's like, "What have you done? Look at your brother. <laughs> Why can't you um, be like him? How many? How many more planets you conquer? Three. Awesome. We move into a uh, trippy, weird scene where Warlock is telling, you know. Or Magus is telling Warlock how much he's won and everything, and not like look how much he's won, but how much the Magus has triumphed in this situation. And he starts doing the copy thing. 
where he knows exactly what Warlock is going to say, and so he starts saying it in unison with him. To the point where they had that nice split panel with both their faces saying it at the same time. Right. There was a Doctor Who episode, I think Ten and Donna, where they're on this, where the Doctor's on this train, and there's this woman who starts doing that. She says everything slightly oh. after everyone, and then it's in Midnight. sync. And then she starts doing it before they say it. It's really yes. creepy. Yes, that's that's the one. Where, yeah, that the episode Midnight where he's on. Yeah, Donna's only in the, like the beginning and the end. Right. Because it was in an era where, um, like, everybody was getting a break episode. Yeah, that's why you have the Doctor Light episodes. Like, I uh, still do those. Yeah, I don't remember now. That was how Russell T. Davis ran things, and that's two showrunners ago because we have a new showrunner starting now. Oh, no, I think they do that, though, because they did the one Peter Capaldi. I mean, he was in it a bit, but it's the one where he's shrunk, and he's in um, What's-Her-Name's Purse. And it's mostly her. Okay. Um, What's-Her-Name? Bill? No, no, before her. Clara. Clara, yes. Yeah, I was going to say, the um, one I don't like too much, but that, I, how would you know that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It was it was an annual thing before then. They had the, the, the super light episode where the main players didn't really come on much. The first uh, Weeping Angels episode was like that. Yes, that Blink. That's what I was trying, I was trying to remember the name of that episode. But anyways, so... But yeah, so they're doing the same thing here of him. And wow, the impressive the, the Magus can remember that after 5,000 years. I can't remember what I said last week. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. It's 5,000 years. You remember everything? Wow. That's impressive. I can't remember what happened 5,000 minutes ago. I'm not even sure how long 5,000 minutes is. Yeah, I can't. I'm sure the Magus does. Well, I guess that's why he ruled an empire for 5,000 years. Right. When 800 years but, you are, look as good you will not. Mm. But And then the Magus does the recap for us, which is very nice of him. Oh, yeah. Well, it's he's doing the recap from his point of view, which I think is interesting. It's good. It's It's an interesting way of doing the recap and furthering the story. Because now we see how the Magus saw all these events. Yeah, and what he was trying to do with it. Right. It's like, this is why we did this. And I love how, again, going with the smiling, I mean, he's smiling on every panel he shows on this page, especially that first one where he says, do you recall our first meeting? I had just had a young girl murdered. <laughs> yeah, the matriarch, all of her manipulations he was completely aware of the entire time and knew they were going to happen. That was all part of his plan. So going with the, it's interesting how they mix things. Starlin's mixed things up a bit. Cause I mean, he's going through now he's going through the allegory. Is that the right word? Allegory, the Jesus allegory. Yeah. Allegory or metaphor. Yeah. Okay. He's going with that with Adam as Jesus, but the Judas role is on the Magus' side. Cause that'd be the matriarch. Yeah. Because she is betraying him, and he knows entirely that she's betraying him, and it's part of the plan. He he understands this needs to, for this everything to work. You do need to betray me. It's an interesting twist. I wasn't sure what to think about it when I when I read that because so, you're right. It is it is a reversal because I mean the Magus is not you know the hero in this story, except that he is because he's warlock. So. Is this a betrayal on Warlock's rise to godhood? One well, no, of the Magus is already a god. So I don't know. Mm. 
I I would almost wager that the Magus in his insanity no longer understands the metaphor he's living out and is doing it wrong. That's perhaps true. <laughs> but also the question is this. <laughs> I like that. But also the question is, who is the hero? Because remember the um, – well, I mean we already spoiled it. When Thanos shows up, remember the whole point of that is because Thanos wants to kill the Magus because the Magus is the one destined to destroy him. So the question would be – if the if everything played out and Omega destroyed Thanos, would Thanos be gone? Would that be a better thing than having the Omega be gone? It's a good question. You know, I did the, not know that that was part of Thanos's plan. That the reason he was there was because Thanos Magus was destined to destroy Thanos. I forgot oh, about sorry. that part. No, that's fine. It's yeah, that comes up in the next in the next issue of show. But yeah, that's the whole point. That's the reason Thanos is helping. So the question is now: Who is the out of the two of them? Who would who would be who would have, I guess I mean it's hard to tell because we don't. We only know how it went with Thanos being around. We don't know how it will come with the Magus, you know, winning and being around. You know, for the well, last we kind of do years, because he's been be around for 5,000 years. I mean, for 5,000 years, the Magus has been over here doing his thing. Warlock oh, comes true. along and he just has to convert Warlock into himself. The Magus has already won. That's true. And Thanos so, is the one who kills half of the superheroes on Earth and half of the people in the universe. Yeah. So I, I almost would say that, you know, as despotic as the Magus is, and as much as he needs to be stopped, I'd rather have him going on than Thanos. True. Because at least for most of the population, you know, there's like a 50-50 chance they'll be allowed to be alive, you know, as long as they can, you know, they're the fit right physical way and, you know, conform to the church's beliefs. Actually, you want to just like, screw it. You want to put a terrible uh, real-life spin on it? Mm-hmm. We already have the Magus going on in other countries right now. We already have horrible, despotic, and completely unterrible rulers in the world right now. So that's true. Yeah, (laughs) we do not have a power mad titan who can destroy reality. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess it's probably better that way. I mean, well, some days I don't agree. Right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Better does not mean good. (laughs) Less horrible. Exactly. It always agrees. It's like, just because one's better than the other does not mean either one is a good option. <laughs> right. But speaking of Thanos, we do get Gamora communicating with her mystery Psylocke eyes. Yes. They have a telepathic linkage. And I'd actually forgotten about this. My memory was that Gamora wanted to kill Thanos. And maybe that comes about later, but she's on a mission to kill the Magus and she wants Warlock to help her kill the Magus and she's doing all that for Thanos. Yes, she's still loyal to him. Because we have to remember, you know, as, as good as the movies have been, that is obviously, things are they're different. Right. And it's just I, also just been so long since I've read it because I don't remember all the yeah. details. And I like how I, she sends Pip to hit it to take out the Magus. He's like, here, take this, hit him in the head. <laughs> She's like, I don't get what you're doing. Why happened to Gamora, the most deadly woman ever? And she's trying to stay secret because evidently the first time this all played out, Gamora wasn't there. And so Thanos is trying to introduce her as a wild card into the situation to tip the scales. And it just at the last minute, it fails. Yes. And I believe it's in the next issue or two, so I'll wait till the end to get into it, but I believe it's in the next issue or two before the story arc ends that we find out why she's able to be hidden from the Magus. He mentions it in passing, some sort of temporochronic filter or something like that. Yeah, it has to do with her origin. Oh, with her origin? Okay. Mm-hmm. Is she from Earth? No. 
She's an alien. Zen Werber, I believe, is the name of the race. Drax is the one from Earth. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Drax is the, the soul of Arthur Douglas, Moondragon's daddy. Right. Right. And that whole tragic story that comes out in the Avengers Celestial Madonna saga, I think, right? Uh, no, well, well, no, that came out already, actually, already in the uh, Captain Marvel issues we did. Me and John, me and Brian did. Okay. Like, maybe it comes back, maybe it gets brought up in the Celestial Madonna saga, because I've, I've read it. It might. I know she's in it. I don't know if he's in it. I know they have a th- Avengers, I think it's 219 and 220, where basically she takes over a planet and he, she kills him when he tries to stop her. Hmm. And that's why when he comes back in the 90s, he's brain damaged. Oh. That was the first Drax that I knew. Drax killed Purple Hulk. Man was the first Drax that I knew. Yeah. Because he was basically taking the role of the Hulk since we didn't have Dumb Hulk anymore. Right. You gotta have a Dumb Hulk. Yeah. Well, hey, Drax worked. <laughs> so we get the flashbacks uh, uh, some more, and we get to. I'm sorry. I'm, it is a dumb, dumb, dumb name. The In Betweener. Oh yes. Ever since I first read that, I was like, really, the In Betweener. That that was a misstep on Starlin's part, in my opinion. It is a weird name. The cool visual is very cool, though. Yes. Uh, with the half black and half white, but the halves are constantly switching back and forth. Yeah, but yeah, I know the name's a little goofy. I was I was typing it in last night as I was looking some stuff up on him just to see if I you know anything I needed to know, and it was like, as I'm typing, I'm like this really is goofy to type. Yeah, yeah. Oh well. Well, he's gone now. Is he gone now? Well, for now. Um, when I was reading the history, apparently, because he was created by chaos, chaos and order. Hmm. Or, well, I guess to make sure we differentiate between the companies, Master Chaos and Lord Order, because that's Marvel. <laughs> okay. Well, because remember, DC has the uh, whole Chaos Order, you know, Lords of Chaos and Lords of Order. Right. So we got to make sure we can talk about the right ones. He was created by them to be their agent, although he's quite a dick <laughs> and betrays them several times. Okay. So they didn't do a very good job. But apparently, in the most recent, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, more recent ones, I had to ask you really quick. When mm-hmm. he betrays them, does he do a little dance and say "Neener, neener, neener"? I'm the in betweener. <laughs> does he do that? Tell me he does that. He should. <laughs> okay, you need he to should. But yeah, no, he's a jerk. We're bringing back the dick list. He's going on there because he is a dick. Okay, but um. But yeah, no, apparently when I was reading it, and Ultimates 2, the more recent run, you know, by Al Ewing with like Captain, with like a Photon and uh, I know it Carol Danvers not read it. Boo Marvel. Yeah, I haven't read that one either. I'm only on the first one. But apparently in that one, the living, tri- well, then should I say it or not? I mean, you can't. I'm not going to be reading current Cosmic Marvel for years. Okay. Uh, apparently because of the way the new, this is the universe is brand new because of after, after sequel wars. Things are fully set, and they kill the Living Tribunal. And apparently, the three of them—Chaos Order and the Inbetweener—merge to form a new being called, I think it's a Logos, hmm. to kind of they want to try, they want to take his place. Interesting. Okay. So, you're just going to kill people and take their place in Betweener? 
That's fine. Yeah. You get your well, you get your taste for it here with, with uh, Warlock trying to get him to become the Magus. Speaking of, the Magus is like, so I sat in my cocoon for a long time and I ripped out and I was purple. Yeah. With a torn costume. Yep. Very Captain Kirk of you. Yes. But he says he's in the um he's in the cocoon for centuries. And he wakes up and it's five thousand years ago. So that's weird. There's no real explanation for the time travel on that. Mm, I guess in between her. I guess in between her. It it always confuses me when Warlock his costume is ripped, especially when he comes out of the cocoon. I'm like, but obviously that's formed from him. How is it ripped? Oh yeah, because he uh he doesn't wear clothes, does he? <laughs> or well, I guess the cocoon form. Yeah, maybe the cocoon is a fabrication machine inside. But it's like, well, why would you get a ripped costume, dummy? Or maybe he just maybe that's what he did in the cocoon. He just sat there and watched old reruns of Star Trek. Right. I'm gonna rip my shirt for dramatic effect. Yeah, <laughs> Kirk does it. That's who they should get to play the Magus. William At least Shatner? voice-wise. Yes. Okay. I'm on board. Make it happen. Okay. All your people. I will. But yeah, so he breaks out and he's on Homeworld 5,000 years ago. And he decides and that I'm planet. going to take them over. Not that it really matters which planet it is. We don't give it a name for the planet. It's just Homeworld. It wasn't Homeworld 5,000 years ago. It was just a planet with people. But it's going to be With its own Homeworld. name, I'm assuming. Yeah. Because they were already a semi, pretty advanced civilization. I mean, uh, at least from what I can see, probably past us. Yeah, I mean, that's not surprising. In the cosmic scheme of things, 5,000 years of difference is not really that big. Especially since most of our technological advances have happened in the last 100 to 200 years. Um, so the idea of them being advanced 5,000 years ago, their evolution was like one notch on the dial faster than ours was. Yeah. It's just, sometimes, it, at least for me, because I'm, you know, I'm all, I, it takes my brain a second when I see something like 5,000 years ago, I'm like, oh, so we were at this point. Oh, no, that's right. That's not us. Because <laughs> you have to put it in terms, you know, you're, you're used to, and I put it in our terms. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they think, but he says they're still superstitious because they thought he was a demon. And they kind of look like, like scrolls, don't they? A bit. Because they're green, and what we can see of one or two of them have the chin. Scroll-ish. Maybe Cousins of Scrolls or Proto-Scrolls? Mm. I gotta look to see how far back the Scrolls had their shape-shifting and all that other fun stuff. Speaking of Scrolls, I just did a Scroll-related recording this weekend. Talk more about that later. Ooh. Oh, I, oh, I, oh I, think I, know, I think I know what we're talking about then, specifically. Mm-hmm. Would this be the second recording? No, still the first. Oh. Oh, okay. Okay, but more on that uh, later. We have yes. Magus burbling yellow burbles out of his forehead into the sky. <laughs> yes, I forgot what the hell that was. I guess that was just him. I don't know. Maybe that's his light. Laser light show. That's his Fourth of July celebration. <laughs> Puts on a show for the people. Of all the people to celebrate Independence Day, I don't think the Magus's people are on the list. <laughs> Well, it's Magus Day. Okay. It's the day that Magus came and liberated you. Or maybe he's just doing a magic show. Oh. There's the pun. I get it. 
but yeah, so he is there, and now he's talking about, he's telling everything how he went, took over that planet, and then he started, formed the church, because it says, what God, what good is a God without a church? Right? We need a church of universal truth. My truth. And of course, we get then Jim Starlin's view of religion, obviously, at least at this time. <laughs> like mm-hmm. most religions, it was created to keep its practitioners in line by threats of damnation and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's a bit, Unfair, I think. Yeah, I would not say most religions were formed that way. Now, would I say there have definitely been times, some minor, some major, where the people in charge of religions did use it that way? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we know that. And probably there still are places where that happens. But I think, um, I don't think your modern average American Christian right now. I mean, regardless of what I think about the quality of the actual beliefs, I don't think there's any sort of, we are using you for our own power kind of thing going on. Yeah, at least not of a overall systemic way. I'm sure right. there are plenty who are. And let's be fair, in anything, the higher up you are, the more powerful you are, and anything, the more, you know, the chances of you wanting to do something to keep that power go you know, up. But I'm not right. saying they are. You do have the really wealthy, you know, it's... Yeah, the wealthy megachurches and the people who are in charge of like thousands of parishioners and have all the money, they pretty much are doing this. They're just not malicious about it. They're just greedy. Yeah. But like I said, if you have power, the chances of you abusing, you know, the chance of somebody abusing power obviously go up the more power they have. Doesn't mean they are. The potential's there. Yeah. All right, so we're creating a thousand worlds and uh, making a holy war on the neighboring planets. Yeah, upon the heathens that invested our neighboring planets. Eh, someone's drinking his own Kool-Aid, isn't he? And he finds the matriarch in a certain sinful establishment in one of this very city's lowest levels. She was known as an infamous woman of easy morals with an iron will and a mind like a razor. I would like to think... That he's picking her because she runs her sex business with an iron fist and not because they're shaming the sex industry. Like sex workers, you know, they do what they do because they're people, not because they're evil people. Well, I mean, we don't get much here. There's many. I mean, so you really can interpret it any way you want because they really don't. It's not like there's much information. I mean, you could say he's picking her just because. That's who he. That's who he remembers being there. So therefore, that's who it is. You know, could have been a housewife. You know, she could have been you know somebody who's married and has had two kids. Doesn't matter. That was a meteor. So that's who it is. It could be like you were saying a shaming thing. It could just be also a, you know, the way that church ran. There was nobody good enough. Nobody independent to be the role of the matriarch. He had to go to someone like that because she was the only one who could do it. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone else in his organization, anyone quote unquote respectable, they would have they would have been too um what's the word I'm looking for? Too reverent to him to even yeah, think of anything not just system. betrayal, but he, yeah, but even not just betrayal, but he even think of doing anything well. Like the only reason she's probably running the the, the church as well as she is, not just betrayals, because she wasn't this hundred percent believer she's not a part of the church. That's the uh, yeah, something like that. Sycophant. That's what I was looking for. 
So it's the, the, the it's position she was holding that was the reason that she was actually qualified to be the matriarch. Mm-hmm. Since Starlin doesn't give us more than that, there's not really much to go. I don't thing. think. So I'm going to choose the more positive one. Because <laughs> why not? I like that strategy. You know, if you have if you have several options you can go with because there's really no other you know information, go with the one that doesn't suck. <laughs> like I used to tell my ex-girlfriends, it's like, look, if I send you a message and you're not sure which way to take it, there's multiple ways. Just assume I'm not. Just assume I'm meaning it in whatever way is not mean because I'm probably not meaning it that way. Right. Right. <laughs> Presume just from, just from just just pretend I'm not an asshole. Exactly. It's like, just assume I'm not meaning to be a jerk. <laughs> and it might just be an accident of translation, but, yeah. or words, but <laughs> it's not meant to be mean. Text only conversation is terrible. Yeah. Okay. And that kind of, I think, wraps up the exposition. We go to this real swirly, whirly bit where they're fighting and he's like bending reality and the, the caverns all around him and going in and out of walls and that's when Gamora decides to oh, make her yeah. move. Yes, that's when her, that's when her master tells her, do it now! Do, do it, it now. now! Okay, so um, Arnold's going to be Thanos. William Shatner as the Magus. <laughs> it's Cassis and Gilbert Gottfried. And Gilbert Gottfried has pipped the troll. I love it. I love it. So it's this really tense count. I was like, you have exactly 12 seconds before I summon the in-betweener. And once he summons the in-betweener, no, no, theoretically, we're already on an irrevocable road to him becoming the Magus. Once he summons yes. the in-betweener, we're even more on an irrevocable road to becoming the Magus. Yeah, and I'm going to blast you going to make her move, and she's going to do She's going to kill him before the timer's up. But she doesn't. No, he... He hits both. He, he blasts Adam and backhands, punches her. Actually, no, that backhand. Um, no, it looks like a fist. According to the yeah. later narration, so he, it's a backhand. Okay, well, it's hard to tell. But either way, yeah, he knocks her down and blasts Adam at the same time. Mm-hmm. Whatever filter was going Not on that was protecting her from him broke down at the last moment. Yeah, well, I guess at the last second, she actually was there to come in contact with him. He was able to sense her, and obviously his reflexes are better than hers. Which, you know, most dangerous woman in the galaxy, I'd think, maybe not, but, oh well. Well, he does have a bit more of experience, a couple thousand years. Five thousand years of learning to fight, yeah, that's true. And this, now, this is not as good a drawn panel, but the, it does remind me of the panel, I think, from last issue, where Adam takes out, like, the three black knights at once. Oh, Yeah. That one was obviously drawn better, I think, than this panel. But it does mm-hmm. remind me of the same thing of him like just taking out multiple people at the same time. It's good. And, uh, yeah, here it is. Her multi-actual camouflage is what he was able to pierce with his astral senses. And uh, he gives three messages, you know, to Adam. Remember, there's no escape from the in-betweener. You know, this is all going to happen. It's, it's, there's no way to get out of it. To the green last, return to your master, whoever he may be, so he doesn't know that Thanos is around. Um, and to Pip, if I ever see your face again, I'll step on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the one thing he said when Pip went to attack him earlier, you know, the bank bonk him on the head, and he just knocks him, you know, obviously he takes Pip out in seconds. He's like, I've been waiting 5,000 years to do that. <laughs> 
which now Pip never really did anything too horrible to Adam, but if Pip is the play basically playing the role of like Adam's court jester slash conscience more or less or humanity, actually not conscience humanity, that would indicate why the Magus would want to be waiting five thousand years to smack him, because the Magus is kind of Adam rejecting the humanity. You're right. going to want to punch out the person who represents it. Right. And to be honest, I mean, Pip is a lovable character. We talked about last time how he's really probably actually really terrible and just written lovably. But I do have memories of him kind of being the annoying member of the team as we go along. Not kind (laughs) of. So maybe, maybe his, you know, patient tolerance was actually disguising a severe dislike. Perhaps. Pip has the more annoying qualities of several major characters. I mean, he has that whole talking sarcasm thing that Spider-Man does that seems to drive everyone in the Marvel Universe nuts. Mm-hmm. And also the Wolverine, after having been out and, you know, killing a dozen, you know, a couple dozen ninjas and being out in the woods for three weeks without showering. You know, and, um, well, going from another, co- going to another company, the uh, attitude, probably the braggart attitude of Guy Gardner at his worst. Right. Seems like Rocket so, Raccoon yeah. is a bit of a pip. Modern day Rocket yeah. Raccoon. Yes, except a bit more capable, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think we actually, I think we actually drew that parallel last time. Now that I say that. Yeah, I think we might have. I don't remember. Although I would, I do hope we see, I do hope we see a version of Pip because he's always there in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wouldn't mind seeing him show up. But yeah, so the Megas, and I like this. The Megas, like, I won, and he just walks away. It's like, you weren't able to kill me before with the secret. You know, when you were hidden, you're not going to kill me now. And uh, Adam, it's over. Pip, you're not going to do anything. So, bye. And Adam Warlock descends into self-pity. He's like, I'm about to become a god. But wait, I'm a terrible person. I steal souls. I'm a spiritual vampire. Of course I'm evil. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, yeah. Adam is very emo here. The only thing it's going to cost me (laughs) is my humanity. Yeah, he is having a tantrum. And the Magus, meanwhile, is very happy. Of course, he has to, you know, punish the matriarch. <laughs> mm-hmm. So because, she's dead. Yeah. Like Judas, you know, even though you did what we wanted you to do, which I never got. <laughs> even though you did what we needed you to do, you shouldn't have done it. <laughs> that is uh, that is a tenant of biblical justice that is very interesting. That uh, The idea that God uses different forces in the world for what some might consider evil things, but then also punishes them for doing the evil in the first place. Just because I used it doesn't mean it was good. Yeah. And that's what the Magus does here. It's like, yep, you had to do this, but... Nope, you reach for the stars, but unfortunately you were not strong enough to hold them. And you're out. (laughs) There will always be a place for you among those saints who have died for the church. So you get to be a martyr now. I mean, he already has the press release ready. Right. <laughs> Meteor gives life to protect church from infidel warlock. <laughs> I was reading Youngblood number one last night, and they kill Saddam Hussein at the end of the issue. And then they run the article yes, that, that. Uh, Saddam Hussein committed suicide. He was he was terribly overwrought for all he had done. <laughs> he felt bad. Right. <laughs> well, I can see the point of that one though as well. You know, it's not the we killed him and said he realized he was wrong and we were right right we're America we're always right right 
Yay! <laughs> and then the Mika sends, okay, gather up all the Black Knights and liquidate everyone you find in this room. Go kill everybody. <laughs> Get everybody and kill everybody. And he's like, I know it's not going to work, but it'll keep him busy for three hours fighting 2,500 religious fanatics. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, holy crap. But then we get the surprise of the issue, at least surprise for anyone who's reading it, I'm sure. Right. A portal opens and a boot steps out. Yes, because it's, it's her master. He says, I am about to come here and help you. Oh, and there's the back of the ham comment you were talking about. Yeah. He's like, I, I need something more powerful than a, a, a backhand. Yeah. So he won't be dismissed with the back of his hand, that's what he says. Yeah, something you can't dismiss. And I assure you, Thanos is such an element. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Now, especially if anyone who obviously was reading Captain Marvel would have been like, what? Because that was the last time we saw Thanos was in Captain Marvel and he died? Maybe. He was gone. Okay. I forget All how we know that is ended. This, uh, Marvel oh, they did the whole, the like, cube. really trippy reality warp through the cosmic cube thing? Yeah. And Marvel smashes the cube and Thanos screams. And death laughs hysterically, and then it's over. Do you ever wonder if maybe Starlin just says, you know, I don't really know how to end this. If I just make it really trippy and hard to understand, it'll work. It's possible. I guess it does, because we like his stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think I think in the issue he does say something about how Thanos was the center of everything. So when the cube was destroyed, he just went to the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. But I guess the implication was he was just floating out there in space. As you do. Although they, yeah, and they did do a Thanos annual a couple years ago, which takes place right after that, and shows you how he survived. Oh, okay, interesting. Because they don't yeah, really, if, like, if, they don't really address that. If I remember right, Thanos is just here. Yeah, and Adam Warlock yeah. doesn't care how he survived Captain Marvel because he wasn't there for that. Yeah, he has no idea who he is. Right. This is their first meeting. The first meeting of Warlock and Thanos, destined mm-hmm. to be uh, the the best married couple ever. Exactly, but you know that's the infinity effect. Yeah, that's it. Thanos is there to help out. While you have in the last panel, you see these hundreds of running to uh, kill them all. Yes, it's kind of like in the Infinity War series number one, whenever Thanos shows up, is like, yeah, I'm I'm here to help stop the Magus. Yes, and. Here again, he's here to st- help stop the Magus. So, while Thanos and Warlock are sometimes on the same side, sometimes on opposite sides, Thanos and the Magus are definitely opposing forces. Always, I guess rivals for godhood would be how they really square off. They both want the same thing, and, and Magus is in Thanos's way of getting it. More or less, they get into more. They get more into that in the next issue or two. One of the next two issues. Okay. Of why well, specifically Thanos is against the Magus and vice versa. Okay. And again, I haven't read these in a long time, so it'll be interesting to see that again for the first time. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, for, well, I guess this works for a first issue. I mean, because it is so explaining everything. So at least anyone who's picking this up who didn't see Strange Tales is all caught up now. Right. For, you know, two more chapters. Yes. And there is some cool stuff happening. It's not just like it's just, you know, talking heads for, you know, 27 pages. Yeah, he does a good job of sprinkling some action and some events around the 
exposition. But really, the thrust of this story is let's give the Magus's backstory, and then Thanos will show up. Well, yeah, this is that middle chapter we have to explain everything that's going on. Because it's also the first chapter. <laughs> that too. Oh, my head hurts. Right. Stay. What? Uh, have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, uh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back to Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It All Comes Back to Superman is part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. It's time again to talk about feedback. Time to thank all the people who took the time to like and share our last episode on social media. That last episode, of course, was episode 80, The Madness Monster. And we are going to start off on Facebook. So on Facebook, these are the people who liked and shared that episode. Dan Ostroff, Jesse Starcher, Jason Venable, Chris Mosby, Chris Matthews, and Joe Sedano. On Twitter, it was liked and retweeted by Gal Walks Into a Comic Shop, The Canned Air Podcast, Da Podcast, well Kept and Unclean, Pittsburgh Nerd Podcast, Podcast Partners, Jason Snick Venable, EMZT Podcast and Production, Christian and Damon's Amazing Nerd Show, Justin the Buck, John M. Wilson is Podcasting Again, Jeffrey Brown, and Comics in the Golden Age. If you want to be one of these people, and I would love for you to be, go follow us on the different social media and like and share the episode posts when they come up. On Facebook, just search for Adam Warlock in the search box. We're one of the first things that pop up. On Twitter, follow us at at AdamThanosPod. And of course, you can always follow our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Speaking of Tumblr, I don't want to forget, I want to thank a few more of the people who follow us on Tumblr. So thank you to whoever's watching IDC, Ronanfish, Spyrospacus, Howling at the Moon 68, and Viggypop. And don't forget, you can also send an email, because I would love to have an email to read, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. We're now up to the Friends and Emmy segment of the show, and in case you have forgotten what it is about, the issue we talked about this episode, Warlock Number 9, was cover dated October 1975. So we are going to talk about the other series that we have already covered on this, on this show, 
and see where they were at on October 1975. Sounds simple. We start with The Avengers number 140, Journey to the Center of the Ant, by Steve Englehart, George Tuska, and Vince Coletta. Having strained himself beyond the point of endurance in his fight against the whirlwind, Yellow Jacket collapses as his own size-changing powers go out of control and his life is in danger. And on the cover, we see a giant yellow jacket, which makes sense, and the vision phasing into his body. But we also have the beast on the cover, which means the beast has joined the Avengers at this point, which I always like that, that the beast is a member of both the X-Men and the Avengers as well. I just find that cool for some reason. Next, we have Daredevil, number 126, Flight of the Torpedo, by Marv Wolfman, Bob Brown, and Klaus Janssen. Murdoch tries to push Daredevil out of his mind for a night, but is forced into action when a police car is demolished right outside his window by the torpedo. I don't think I've ever read anything with the torpedo in it. I read New Warriors when his successor Turbo joined, but she was definitely a hero. I'm not sure if Torpedo was a villain. I thought he was a hero, but not sure. Either way, it's just kind of weird to see Daredevil fighting him. It's funny. Some non-powered characters like Batman, they're fine with fighting super-powered enemies. And yet with Daredevil, it just seems really odd. Fantastic Four, number 163, Finale, by Roy Thomas, Rich Buckler, and Joe Sinnott. Johnny Storm and an alternate Earth Reed Richards team up to find Archon, architect of the Three Worlds War. Meanwhile, Ben fights a desperate battle against Guard, the guardian of the Nexus that supplies Archon's world with energy. And for more of a full look at this issue, go listen to Fantastic Cast, episode 211. There will be a link in the show notes. I am always amused by this issue, not just for the fact that his name is Gard, G-A-A-R-D, so you have to say the R, <laughs> but he's basically a cosmic-powered goalie. I'm down with the Silver Surfer. I'm fine with the Black Racer over at DC, but cosmic-powered goalie, that's a bridge too far for me. The Incredible Hulk, number 192, The Lurker Beneath Lock Fear, by Len Wein, Herb Trimp, and Joe Staten. The man-brute known as the Hulk has been returned home by the Shaper of Worlds. Now the Green Goliath is in for some mayhem on the Scottish Moors as he comes face-to-face with the Lurker Beneath Lock Fear. And whatever this monster is, we only can see its arms reaching out to grab the Hulk and... some woman. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be Betty because it has long blonde hair, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, but it does have arms. It's not like a tentacles or anything. I'm wondering if reading this issue, it turns out to be one of the old Marvel monsters from the Atlas era that they're reusing. Because that'd be kind of cool. Iron Man number 79, Midnight on Murder Mountain, by Mike Friedrich, George Tuska, and Vince Coletta. Rescuing a couple from a lightning storm, Iron Man stays with them overnight in a nearby lodge that is actually the home of a mad scientist who decides Iron Man must be defeated. And looking at the cover, the first thing I see and makes me happy, this is the nose era of Iron Man. I find it so goofy and stupid, and I love it. (laughs) Marvel Premiere number 25, Morning of the Mindstorm, by Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Al McWilliams. Iron Fist arrives at the wings to discover Colleen missing and Lee raving like a madman. Danny and Scarf try to track down Colleen, but are assaulted by illusions courtesy of Angar. Beating Angar down, Iron Fist discovers a Stark International ID card on the villain, and figures the company is behind the disappearance of his friend. Hmm, Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Sounds like a familiar, creative team. I always found it fascinating when I first learned that they'd worked on other stuff besides X-Men and before X-Men. 
Iron Fist Marvel team up. It's just funny what hits and what doesn't, that X-Men is the stuff that became super huge while Iron Fist didn't become that huge. But still, it means, as far as I'm concerned, this is going to be a good issue. It's going to have a good story, and it's going to have great art. Plus, it's got Angar the Screamer. As we know, everybody loves Angar. Finally, we have Thor number 240, When the Gods Make War, by Bill Mantlo, Roy Thomas, Sal Buscema, and Klaus Janssen. Thor returns to Asgard for clues to Odin's disappearance. When he gets there, he finds Heimdall unable to lift the Galadrahorn, and his extreme senses are gone. Thor enters Asgard and finds all Asgardians afflicted with the same melancholy. He manages to snap the Warriors Three out of it. They consult Mimir to find Odin, and he reveals the pyramid in California. Mimir tells the Asgardians about the gods of Egypt. Jane flies out to California and arrives at the same time as Thor. Horus comes out to keep Thor from interrupting a ceremony inside. As they battle, Isis and Osiris arrive from inside with Odin. Only Odin is now a Tumrei, and he will destroy the enemies of his children. As you might have noticed, unfortunately, the same place I was able to get the other descriptions, which are brief descriptions, is not where I was able to find the Thor one. I had to find that somewhere else. That's why it's a little bit longer. But I must say this. I have been a bit down on the Thor issues of the seven, in the 70s. But I have to say, at least starting here, this looks pretty cool. I like the idea of the different pantheons going against each other. So the so we got the Asgardians versus the Egyptians. Plus, the cover is pretty cool with Thor and Horus fighting. I wonder how far back you plan to use Thanos too. How long Jim Starlin had been thinking about using Thanos for this? Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um. Hmm. I'm not sure how far back because I mean he just kind of introduced Gamora in this last issue, so there really wasn't much. Well, Gamora's been around for two now. This is her third yeah. appearance. Yeah, so, and I don't think she really mentions anything about a master last time. So, the first time she shows up, she says she wants to kill Warlock. Um, the second time she shows up, she did mention working for somebody, and now oh, she's, she's here. Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean. Strange Shells 180 was her first appearance, and we started in, what, 178? Yeah. It seems to me that he could have had Thanos in mind from early on, or at least came up with the idea shortly after starting the story. Or it could have just been he brought Gamora on and is like, I'll figure out her later. Yeah, I don't, Thanos I don't think... Thanos is his creation, I think... I'm not certain... But I think that Starlin created Thanos as looking for stories to use as a vehicle for him. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say I thought maybe he put Thanos, you know, he he thought of Thanos a few chapters ago, but not at the beginning. But you're right. Thanos and Gamora and Pip are all his. Mm-hmm. Adam isn't. I mean, just the recreation of Adam, but Adam is not his character, obviously. He's so, yeah, he might be thinking a way his... to work them in. Yeah. If I if I were Starlet, I'd be I would be writing stories as vehicles for my characters that I have you know creative investment in, and, and so using this whole revival as a as a vehicle for a Thanos story would make sense to me. And to be fair, he does do that. You know, that's what he does normally. You know, I mean, a lot of times he's doing these Thanos stories. You know, also because we like them, you know, people like them and want to read them. But that's what he does. He wants like, what else can I do with them? Right. So that would make sense from the beginning. He was doing that. Especially since if he was planning this whole thing with the Magus being a god, having Thanos, you know, Thanos who was a god. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. 
go up against him would work. Oh, if I ever get a chance to interview him, things I have to ask. <laughs> and probably have him look at me and go, that was 45 years ago. I don't remember. <laughs> but the Magus remembers after 5,000 years, Jim. Yeah. The Magus he remembers, remembers word for word. How come you can't remember? <laughs> All right. Anything else? Well, no, you're right. I mean, we got through the issue. I mean, it was a good one, though. But it's sometimes like, like the you know, the good, the better issues are the ones that go a little quicker. It's the crappy issues that you just have to spend three hours on. <laughs> I don't think we've had a crappy issue yet, though. No, thankfully not. No, well, it's not crappy. It's just some issues have more to talk about than others. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I definitely was happy with this. I'm glad he was back in his series, even though it won't last for long. How about you, overall, of the issue? Yeah, solid book. Um, it's nice to hear what the Magus is doing. And now we just have two more chapters of wrap-up. Thanos and Warlock versus the Magus versus the in-betweener. It's going to be cool to see it all. Oh, and I was just looking to the next issue, and Captain Marvel makes an appearance. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the, that's right, in-betweener, the introduction of a cosmic entity. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, in-betweener, yeah, because he will be one of the many forces that floats in space to discuss the affairs of the universe. Yes. Along with Eternity and Infinity and the Living Tribunal and all the others. The Stranger, because mm-hmm. everyone loves The Stranger. I don't know a single person who likes a stranger. <laughs> I don't think so, yeah. He's all he's just there. I, I like him his first appearance of X Men just because I like him talking to people and it's it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Oh, and if you want some entertainment with the Inbetweener, even though no I don't think anyone really likes him. There are some early issues of Silver Surfer. Not the first run by Stan Lee, but like the, the one from the early eighties. There's like a cover of him punching out Galactus, him and Galactus having like a punch out. Okay. Which is pretty entertaining. Any other thoughts? No, I think that's it. I think we are done now. But before we go away, I I think someone has an announcement, maybe. Okay. So this issue, this episode is probably going to drop in a couple of months from now. A couple weeks. Yeah, uh, probably late, uh, maybe early May. Yeah. Okay, so in that case, April 27th has just seen the launch of Make Hours Marvel, which is a podcast that I'm doing with an old friend of mine from podcasting days of yore, Michael Kaiser. And, you know, it's been 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so we are going to start talking about um, the Marvel Universe and you know it, it may be it may be a cliche, but we're going to do a whole from the beginning going through the comics type of podcast. And instead of trying to do like a particular number of issues per episode, we're going to go through as many episodes we can, as many issues as we can in an hour. So, like the first episode, we talk about the first two issues of Fantastic Four. The next episode, we cover the uh, first Ant Man appearance and a couple more Fantastic Fours, and then. The third episode will bring in the Hulk, and and before long we'll be talking about Thor and um, Spider-Man as well, and Iron Man eventually. So it's, it's going to be just going through the comics as they came out, talking about the, the continuity and the narratives and the characters and all the other stuff that's going on with all the, char- of, of the people, and making our way through 1960s Marvel. 
Very cool. And that is over at MakeOursMarvel.com or all the usual podcasty places. And I saw when you posted about you know doing some stuff the other day, you mentioned a promo. So there is a promo for this being recorded? There is one. Um, yeah, so you can throw that in this episode because it'll be... Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah you're gonna, one. You're we're going to hearing... release it on uh, March 27th, but uh, this is after in March fact, 27th. So. Yes. In fact, that promo is going right here. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Hours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. That was it. That was it. Alrighty, well, um... How many, wait, how many times is this going to be for you then covering those early issues of Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> this is at least, what, your third or fourth? This is my third time to talk about on comic podcasts, those early issues of Spider-Man, yes. <laughs> to be fair, you guys did get a, you did get a different view the last time you did it. I, I still like that what Lily said, when you and Lily were talking about it, it was like, basically, it's like, this is the origin of a supervillain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'll be funny. It'll be a little bit boring, actually, to talk about Spider-Man again <laughs> in the, those, just those early issues because I've already done it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it'll oh, be, like it'll be uh, everything except the Fantastic Four. This will be a redo until we get to Avengers number one. Yeah. Yeah, because you guys that, covered all that stuff. Mm-hmm. After that, the X-Men show up, so I'll be talking about those for the first time. Well, no. Yeah, you guys never got to X Men stuff. I podcasted X Men years and years ago. Xavier's podcast for uh, gifted yeah. youngsters. Yes. No, I know. I, li- I, li- I listened to that while it's still available somewhere. But, anyways, so yeah, that's that's a project I'm really excited for. I've been wanting to podcast about early Marvel, and I've done it with Lily, and then it died, and now I'm doing it with Michael, and we'll see how long it lasts. But it was really cool talking to Kaiser again after so many years. Oh, good. Well, that's cool. I'm looking forward to it. And I will talk to you later. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle.
Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.